0: Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the (laughs) Gathering podcast. Uh, Welcome to the show. My name is Curtis. I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Cameron, how are you doing?
1: I'm embarrassed, man. Just going to say it.
0: (laughs) We... um, yeah, I feel like this is going to be one of a, one of the best uh, podcast stereotypes of you're going to have to record a thing before the episode starts apologizing for the audio. <laughs> so um, I, I look forward to hearing that. Maybe you could have some sad piano music. But essentially, my internet's been out for uh, six to seven hours. Um <clears throat> And we really wanted to re- make sure we recorded something this week because next week you're flying to Tahiti or something mm-hmm. and you won't be around. So we had to get, make a show, you know, get a show in. Problematically, there's also the issue um, of this, the release schedule, like the Explorer Anthology is coming out. I should introduce you, Cameron. Sorry. Uh, my good buddy, producer extraordinaire, who's really working hard today, uh, Cameron McCoy, Cameron... How are you,
1: dude? I'm great. It's good to see your face no matter what web client we use
0: or what the bit rate is like or any of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, anyway, back to my, uh, former point, um, we have decided to try and do a flesh and blood primer this week. Now, we're doing that with full knowledge that we are a magic the gathering show next week or i should say in two weeks we're going to be hitting the explorer meta game super hard nothing is changing on that front um however it did strike me pretty hard when you go to the star city games website for their scg con um and go right now cameron you'll see it is flesh and blood and magic having an evil like an even footing in terms of the billing for this event now look Flesh and Blood is still an upstart, still not even, you know, a fraction of Magic's audience, whatever. But I do think there are some really valuable things to talk about in terms of getting into that game and how you can get enjoyment out of it as a Magic player and why I think you should pursue it. Cameron, hit me with a healthy dose of skepticism because, um, as you know, I'm a full Kool-Aid drinker for this stuff. Um what were the skepticisms that you were carrying into playing flesh and blood a couple of weeks ago?
1: Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's just not going to be magic. I'm not going to get those moment to moment interactions that are just either like painfully punishing or just incredibly rewarding. Um, when you're playing something like legacy, when you're playing something like pioneer, when you're playing something like standard and you're just in a tournament and ready to go, you know, I've played other tabletop games. I've played other collectible card games. Um, and nothing, nothing has ever really scratched that itch the way that Magic the Gathering has. Up until, I would say, this past couple weeks where, I mean, I've been going on to um, whatever it's called, the the Flesh and Blood... Um, a uh, felt table there we go that's what i was trying to think mm-hmm. of. i've been using that and just kind of diving in to learn dash to learn bravo and like some of these other decks and um having a good time with it and this is the closest i've gotten other than maybe gwent <laughs> uh where
0: That was a real thing. That was a real thing. Yeah.
1: No, but this is like, like, legitimately, Flesh and Blood is as close to uh, what I felt in like 2015, 2016, playing Legacy Magic, honestly. Um, And I haven't even been to a real tournament. I haven't actually, other than you, that's, you're the only human person I've actually played with this game so far, but it's good. And if it's catching hot fire and Star City starts doing what star city was doing 10 years ago sign me up i am ready for it
0: yeah and i had that moment so a new set released this last weekend the pre-release was the weekend before and star city games had this open in cincinnati and it was a debut of the new constructed format and players were at the shop watching to see on their phones between matches what decks were going to make the top eight what cards from the new set were being played you know what i mean like all of that energy—that again—I feel like is kind of missing. I don't know the last time I really had a conversation in person about the meta, the standard metagame for Magic, and I kind of—I miss that, right? Like the tweaks and, and different things that you can do to approach different matchups. Well, I wanted—I wanted to today to be kind of a primer, and I also want to say this, and this has been my big line: nothing has to replace anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's, that's a real concern that almost everyone's told me is like, ah, you know, I can't leave. It's okay to turn magic down 30% and turn flesh and blood up 30%. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It does, you, you don't have to be a car, one-card game man, and I think that's the thing that oh some people are more comfortable with than others. I, I hate to be putting people in bunches of age groups, but I do feel like our age category of magic players, that's the hardest sell. right yeah for sure um because where they're at maybe you you know in their life personally professionally but also how long they've been playing magic um and so you know you'll get the standard i've seen so many card games come and go and then you know check the the laundry list of you know star wars tcg versus on and on and it's like again it's a good game it's been around for quite a while now but again if it just evaporates you're still stuck with a very good card game that's very playable. I I found it through a local play group. I still think this is a piece that's been missing as we've gone kind of more and more digitally with our card games. Um, You know, my son really got into Pokemon and I fully learned to play that digitally. I never had to talk to another human being. Flesh and Blood really forces you when it's at its best to actually go to the game shop and interact with a community which I think is something that is sorely missing from a lot of gaming experiences. I know it's easy to pick on Magic there, but I think Magic does that still really well. But if you look at like a lot of the other gaming communities you can be in right now, almost all of them are online video games, right? Mm -hmm. And so that local play group thing, I think is really appealing. I would also say Discord um, has kind of become the lingua franca of it. Versus something like Twitter or Facebook. Because I'm sure you noticed this whenever you started Magic. Twitter was the place where, like, the forum for Magic the Gathering, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'd say where we're at now, that's maybe not going to happen. <laughs> um, Cameron, real talk. I'm still unclear on what Threads or Mastodon or any of that is.
1: Yeah. I haven't even given a go yet. You know, much like flesh and blood. Maybe I'll wait two years after the fact and then finally get into it.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. None of those things are going to add to your life, probably.
2: (laughs) It's true. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, anyway, so like I would say by virtue of it being a, you know, game that kind of grew up around COVID, that the game itself is very oriented around Discord. Buying and selling cards can go through Discord. Uh, Online, like, webcam games go through Discord. Talishar, which is the other online client besides Felt Table, that's against another live human being, uh, you can pair through Discord. So, like, more and more game shops have their own personal Discord, but then there's, like, a community Discord, usually for Flesh and Blood, and then there's usually a... or there is a worldwide Flesh and Blood group on Discord as well, so where you can, you know, go into your own subgroup. Like, I, I like to play a certain deck, so I can find that deck on the Discord. And what I found kind of refreshing about that is, unlike Twitter, it filters out basically everything that doesn't, it keeps it very pure and very on topic, right? Like, I I think one of the real problems with Twitter as it went was, yeah, I could follow all the magic people, but I was still getting a lot of things that didn't involve Magic the Gathering, right? Mm Um. So those are the two things that I would suggest. I would suggest going to a local play group and you could totally show up blind. Literally just walk in, no deck, no idea and say, hey, I'm looking to learn to play flesh and blood. I would almost guarantee you, you'll get taken care of, right, Mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome. Um, And then the other thing, again, Cameron, for somebody like you, who's a busy guy, doesn't get a chance to go out anywhere uh, both felt table and Talishar. Felt table really excels at the AI. Like you, basically, these are both free web clients. Felt table is against a robot AI, which I think is very helpful to learn the game because there's no clock. You can kind of jump in and out. You can try a bunch of different decks, and then Talishar is much more like Magic. It looks exactly like Magic Online, whatever. Eight years ago. Talk to me about your experience with felt table, Cameron.
1: Yeah. um You know, I've I've gone through it a few times now. Um, first and foremost, just like the tutorial they have to kind of teach you the game, that's first and foremost where you want to go. So if you don't have a play group, um, or maybe you're maybe like me, where you want to actually have some sort of like intelligent thought in your head when you like go to your first, you know, play group or whatever, uh, this is where to go, I think. it's um, It's so great as far as just explaining... Every single like interaction and moment that you have, and then if you can find a deck that you like that you might like with like Blitz or Bravo, these are the two that I only know right now. Um, they it does a really good job of kind of hand holding you through it to figure it out, all completely free. Um, yeah, it feels kind of like MTGO from 12 years ago. Like, you know, you don't get the sound effects. You don't get – there's a lot – I mean, there are sound effects, but the moment-to-moment, the moment, like, those quality of life, um, high-quality graphical sort of things aren't quite there, but it's mm-hmm. a free client that is, like, a full game, right? It's a full-fledged game. That's just incredible. So, like, I think that's the place first and foremost to go um, where I'm just kind of going through it once a week, just – putting in some time, figuring out a deck, trying to relearn those play patterns, relearn everything that you taught me. And then hopefully here, I have some, a busy August, but come September, my idea is to just start showing up to some events here in, here in Des Moines.
0: Or I'll show up to events in Des Moines, mm. Cameron, and I'll just knock on your door. I'm just going to show up one day. I'm going to say Cameron, grab your jacket, grab the cat. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know which one of your cats would make the best card game mascot, but we'll, we'll figure that out oh, as we, we go. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Something maybe to stew on who's the least aloof cat, I guess is the question. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, I, I found felt table to be super, super useful. Talishar can be a little intimidating because you are playing against, generally speaking, very invested players that are very good. And there's nothing really on the line. So sometimes, you know, people will speed scoop or whatever. So it, Talishar, I think is much more like a, hey, I'm getting ready to go to a big event and I wanna get real reps in. If you're wanting to learn to just like learn the game, uh, felt tables where I would be. And to your point, I think both Bravo and Dash, if you know nothing, those are really good heroes to start with. Um, But there is a lot of depth with those. Um, And the last thing I would say is you can buy some Blitz decks. We'll explain what Blitz is versus some of the other formats later on. But Blitz essentially is the starter decks. I would say the starter decks, though, you do need to be careful. They are, if you're used to Magic the Gathering Pokemon level starter decks, the Blitz decks here are a little bit more complex. there's there's a little bit more meat on this bone with some of them and so you kind of need to be aware of that going in that i mean you could buy like a set of like four blitz decks and you would be set to play flesh and blood like in your house for a while you know because they are they're super 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 in depth in terms of the gameplay that they demand where some of the magic starters, maybe it's closer to a commander starter maybe that's a, a good comp right Just a lot of complex interactions and lots of reading, lots of text. Whereas the old MTG standard starter decks were like, you know, there was a lot of uh, no text 4-4s and those kinds of things, right? (laughs) Sure, yeah. Um, So weirdly, I think buying into some starter decks is the worst of the the crew. Um, But I think some combination of Discord, local playgroup, and felt table is the best way to get you where you need to be. Um, so let's say, Cameron, we you graduate past this, like we're at tier two, we're ready to make a commitment, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now in Magic, what was what's really nice about Magic is the economy is so longstanding that whenever you decided to make the jump from modern to legacy or standard to modern, you can kind of utilize, leverage the cards that you've already had to kind of get into some new cards, that is much harder with flesh and blood unless your local game store sells flesh and blood singles, which many, many, many don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of are locked into this thing of like, how do I turn? Okay. Let's just say you have um, amulet Titan. You tend to play Tide way more in modern and you've just got this amulet Titan deck. Yes. You could go through the thing where you post it on TCG player or eBay or whatever. Um, but Essentially, it's really hard to cross those streams, right? When you do buy list cards, um, you can get boxes of flesh and blood. Full disclosure, I did this. I sold several hundred dollars worth of cards by listed them. And I bought several boxes of flesh and blood. I don't know that this was economically the best decision. It was in the wake of the magic 30 announcement. Cameron, um, I don't know if you remember this, but I sent you a message of like seven flesh and blood boxes on my table, and I said, my reaction to Magic 30, (laughs) right?
1: You still came out ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was pretty irritated, and I also tend to unload a lot of draft chaff. I don't draft as much as I used to, so I didn't have as much as I did once upon a time. And hey, if there's a blessing about Commander is that some of your random box chaff ends up being worth something, right. Mm -hmm. Um, But the good thing about that was, is I did get a feel for the game. And when you do buy sets, you kind of like if you want to if you're like me, and you want to understand the history, and all the different kind of heroes and all that thing, like it is within reason that you could buy a box of every single set that's come out of flesh and blood, right? Like the first set, the equivalent of revised, you could probably get for whatever it is 80 or 90 bucks a box right so like these things are still very accessible so i think there's a benefit in that you can learn a lot about the game and if you zoned in on a certain hero well heroes are associated with certain sets mostly so let's say dash well dash is really in mostly one set so you could just buy some boxes from that set and really have you know a decent chunk of a dash deck um really if you buy a bunch of boxes of a set you'll have a decent version of every hero from that set right yeah but what you won't have is the really nice singles that are one in every two boxes four boxes whatever right so just like magic it's going to be much more efficient to buy singles through tcg player or through your local card shop or if you have to like again there's that gray area where you're not used to buying cards from other human beings at a shop but if the shop doesn't actually sell flesh and blood singles then you people do that there then right um and so that's kind of a weird thing that you got to kind of uh navigate um but i would also say don't let the expense whenever you look at some of these decks dissuade you because a deck might be six hundred dollars and you go i'm not jumping in at that but well two cards probably make up $400 of that. Mm -hmm. Right? So you can get very cost-effective versions of these decks at a much slower price. Um, I'll ask you this, Cameron. So whenever we were playing, how grokkable was the equipment thing for you? Because I think sometimes when you explain it to people as an abstract, it's hard to wrap your head around.
1: Yeah, I definitely had, I mean you see the equipment and it's like, okay, I see like this stuff is attaching to your hero, right? Or like how that kind of works. It takes a few times, I think, to go through the reps to actually remember like, oh yeah, I have this thing that has multiple elements that I can use either for defense, offense, or value add. Right. And so the value add thing for me is that like where like there's all these like secondary things that allow you to add additional mana or whatever it is um, Mm -hmm. that I'm still learning. And that just takes time. But as far as like, Oh, I have this thing that's going to give me plus two defense. I can throw it on whatever card I pitch. And all of a sudden my hero is alive for another turn. Right. I mean like, so I, I I get that sort of thing. Um, It's all the like ancillary, I think value adds that is the most ungrokkable thing yeah the most foreign thing i guess
0: yeah and i guess it's really difficult to tell people hey these are the really expensive cards because there's not a comp really for them in magic the gathering yeah right and so i I feel like once you play with them it's a little bit easier to kind of understand what's going on with them and why they're so expensive but Suffice to say, you play with an equipment set, like, it's almost like if you could just picture uh, your Diablo character screen, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like that is laying on the table. You have an arm piece, a chest piece, legs, and a, and a head piece. And these things are the, the cards that have this kind of, like, eye-popping cost of some of them are 100 hundred, two hundred $200. And you look at them and you go, oh, jeez. But... A, you definitely don't have to play them right the meat of the deck the deck that you're actually playing with is usually much less expensive than that um and while you're kind of it's like it's almost like playing with a hallowed fountain instead of a tundra i guess would probably be the best way to analog yeah to to do like the deck is completely playable without those at a local level not until you're playing for big money do you need the big fancy equipment and by the way a lot of times you can trade up and trade in as you get more invested into the game, right? Um, but I would also say, like, the equipment is just a one of no matter what. So, Findel Spring Tunic is the, whatever, Black Lotus equivalent. Though I don't know if it's still the most expensive card in the game, for, like, in terms of equipment that's regularly used. Um, but it's, like, you know, that card that a lot of decks had. It's the chess piece that everybody's after. And usually it's, like, 200 bucks. But you just need one, period, for all your decks. That's it. Whereas, you know, whenever you're talking fetchlands, especially at their apex, it was, you know, much, much more than that. But because you could slice and dice it, maybe it was easier to digest. But I, I think Flesh and Blood has this rep of being an expensive card game, and I found that to be not true even remotely, right? It's just some certain cards, there's like... It's like the the high end can be very expensive, but you don't have to be there. And this is also a draftable game, so you could just play a lot of limited, and then never have to interact with those expensive cards until you really care to,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? So, and and I think you can still play a very competitive version of some very good decks. It's not like you have you have to play oops all spells or something Legacy, and you can never. It, it's much closer. Uh, in quality than hallowed fountain tundra are i guess is how i would put it um so that's like card acquisition i think there's a couple different ways to go about it but at the end of the day kind of once you have played a bunch and been in a play group or played on felt table you get an idea and then you can kind of start acquiring singles um cameron i don't remember did we talk about the different formats
1: Uh, you mentioned it and i couldn't tell you Anything other than that there's, like, the main format with, like, cards that when they get too good are essentially sunsetted. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, a draft format. That's all I know.
0: So there's a limited format where the heroes are at 20 life, right? That's right. There is a constructed format that is the heroes are at 40 life. There's also a really um, popular hybridization of those two things called Blitz. And again, that's what the starter decks are in. And Blitz, you play with the lower life version of the hero. Um, There is a different ban list. um, And Blitz is very, very popular in some shops in my area and other shops can't stand it, don't play it. But the games end, like it's it's not just named that for funsies. The game's end very, very quickly. Um, And so whereas the classic constructed, you know, some matches can go in excess of 50 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Flesh and Blood is a best of one game, which again, you might hear that and go as a magic player, that seems terrible because what happens if I get mana screwed or whatever? But Flesh and Blood is the variance is much lower in that way. Um, and your deck is going to do the thing it's designed to do, right? It's really much, much more about sequencing than just about anything else. Um, but you will get to play the game, right? Like that's with a with a very high density of decisions over the course of that time. But the other thing that's hard to get used to is you sideboard before the game. So it's a, we've we've mentioned this. It's a hero-based game. So you play. You start with your hero up, and then you see. You know, you, you and your opponent see each other's hero, and then you sideboard based upon who their hero is mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, your deck is 80 cards in Classic Constructed, um, and you have to present at least 60 in your main deck. So 80 includes all your different variations of equipment. So you might say, hey, I'm playing against a wizard, so I'm going to use this certain headpiece and this certain arm piece, and swap out my arm pieces." So, you know, basically, if you want to think of it as a 20-card sideboard, you could... Um, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, Clash is the, um, the, the version of the game that's kind of picked up steam or my area and it is essentially popper. Um, and it is very affordable, really good gameplay. Um, I prefer it greatly to Blitz um but it is kind of a fan-made format i would argue that one of the big problems with flesh and blood is there are lots of different formats Mm -hmm. for a young card game Um, but clash really i think is an interesting way to get people in that maybe don't want to buy a 200 piece of equipment right um so final things i'll say there is an event locator that's really good on their website Their website is also very, very good. It gives you an idea of what card, it's it's very easy to figure out what cards are legal or not legal. You mentioned this. The way that they handle rotation is once a hero has won so many events, it gets, um, basically they earn points for each event that they win. And once they cross a thousand points, they earn living legend status and are rotated out. So the game kind of polices itself in that way. When When a character is too good They will accrue points very quickly and be rotated out. Uh, And everyone's aware of when that will happen. There are still cards that get banned. um, But typically, like, your deck doesn't get banned. It just rotates out once it wins, like, a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe there are only four heroes that are living legend status right now in Constructed. So, and one character is one event went away. So (laughs) I wouldn't recognize that character's Briar. So I wouldn't recommend, like, it's a really good deck. I wouldn't recommend getting that if I were in people's shoes. But they have said that there will be a Living Legends format, which are for ro- only heroes that have rotated, and that will be, like, the Legacy Equivalent, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, all right, Cameron, hit me with questions. I feel like I've been monologuing going through my outline here. What do you got for me?
1: Yeah, Um. let's see. So, yeah, like... I guess I want to know, just because i am not really been following, like, the magic community, are there a lot of, like, magic professionals that are moving over to this? Are there a lot of, like, just really high-quality players that are moving into Flesh and Blood and, you know, not completely replacing it? I'm sure there's still going to be magic players, but, um yeah, are you seeing that movement at all? Because I don't really see that, I guess, with, like, the people in my shop who are just, like stalwart legacy players
0: uh no like i don't see that a lot either like the the quote unquote best players right now um like i so michael hamilton won the world championship he said on his podcast that he was a former magic player um but you know i don't know that he had a lot of pro points or anything like that Probably the person that's most associated with magic is this guy named Brian Gottlieb, who's done Star City broadcast and all this. He's now a big designer with, or card car designer with Flesh and Blood. Um, there is carryover, but like the super high level, you know, like the LSVs of the world, he's talked about Flesh and Blood before. So I know he's aware of it. I feel like LSV has done videos on it, but nothing major. And I do think that there is a risk whenever you're somebody that's like a big player in the magic space, you know, you're, you are deriving an income from that, Mm -hmm. right? Like you are deriving a living and that's what your brand is associated with. So I don't know if there's a lot of value in you making that jump right now. Um, But maybe, you know, I I don't, I see people from different card games. You were talking about Gwent, one of the big uh, casters, her Flesh and Blood was a Gwent caster in the past. Nice. So it's kind of become the island of misfit toys that people, you know, from other card games and for whatever reason it seems like it's the it's the card game that is the new complex one that's kind of grabbing people and cherry picking from other games Um, but you know this and you felt this and I did too it's really hard to extract yourself at any level even 10% less than magic
2: Mm -hmm. you know Mm
0: -hmm. and I've been married to that game for so long Uh, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, I was, I was silly of me to think that it had to be a one or the other. Mm -hmm. And I, and I've been projecting that onto other people. So I I do think that it's, it's really worth it, but no, I was talking to a, a guy I was playing against and he was a, he's a flesh and blood judge and a magic judge. And he was talking about this very same thing about like, when you're trying to proselytize this game, he's like, it's such a good game. I wish people would just give it a chance as a game not as a place to go if you're unhappy with magic. Sure. yeah, Uh, And I I thought that was a really insightful take um, because it does kind of live in the shadow of these other card games, Um, though I think the previous set was the first set that's like it sold more than a Yu-Gi-Oh set and it was the first card game to break in past one of those other uh, Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh magic. So I think it's selling just fine. Uh, I know it is in my area, at least like people were going through boxes like they were cotton candy. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I I would say it's not as much as I would have expected.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, what have been your hangups with the game? Like actually playing it so far?
1: Yeah. Like right now I, I just, I just need the reps. Um, and I'm going to get to a point where like felt table is great, but I think I, I need to, this is a physical game. I, I want to have those physical cards um, and then making that leap, even if it's like a hundred dollar deck or whatever it is, just to have that. And then finally go to a tournament or a Friday night event or whatever. Um, probably the one up in the suburb of Des Moines and, uh, Check it out. Um, and just wanting to make sure that I'm proficient enough, ju- you know, just to, to show up and play. And um, maybe I wouldn't actually play the tournament, but I'm sure somebody would just, you know, have that interaction I kind of had with you two weeks ago, where it's another human being who's kind of maybe walking me through the steps before I get into Nicer,
0: my... friendlier, yes, better teacher. All <laughs> You're like uh, anyway, so I, I guess that's my that's my basic sales pitch for flesh and blood and I hope people give it a shot. Um, the new set is again not draftable um, but pretty good. I would say that the set previous to this outsiders is a is a probably a better getting started set but um, really if you if you're a kind of the kind of person thats people over to tabletop game, and more than one person has interest, it is entirely worth it to just get the original set, do a draft or do a sealed with a box. I mean, like, again, these boxes are crazy affordable. Monarch is another draftable, seal, sealable set. And I saw the boxes for 70 bucks a pop, right? Nice. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's it's that, that sets particularly is kind of low in value because two of the heroes in the set have rotated out. <laughs> so... People aren't getting it a lot for constructive purposes. If that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but anyway, that, that's all aside. It, it's really cool. And Star City um, has posted their weekly tournament on YouTube. So, Cameron, next time you're on the treadmill or whatever, nice. Yeah. The the casters are these young guys. One of them is named Brody Spurlock, who's a, um, a well-known player in the Flesh and Blood world. I don't. The other guy's name escaped me they blew my mind they were so good dude i i thought they were great i'm going to send you the link yeah, just so you have it. it to watch yeah. and in in a in a, a a blessing of a decision they chapterized the youtube video cameron so you can just skip right to the matches like it brings a single tear to my eye <laughs> right that's
1: all they needed to do for the world tour that's it <laughs> just, it's been great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, Cameron. So before we sign off, what else have you been up to this week? Oh, Much man. of anything or been all, all guns blazing on work?
1: Yeah, it's been kind of crazy busy with work. Um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, we haven't even gone to like the new Mission Impossible yet. I mean, we watched the first Mission Impossible, which if you haven't seen, listeners, I mean – Like, that OG, original Mission Impossible, the Brian De Palma one, um, I don't know. I have a real soft place for my heart in that. Uh, Like, I think that um, entire infiltration scene is probably, like, one of the most iconic scenes of the 90s. It's up there with, like, the Matrix lobby scene. You know, I mean, as far as just, like, pure just popcorn fantasy fun... Um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to the other mission impossible. I'll check it out here probably this week.
0: Uh, and maybe this is not such a scorcher of a take, but to me really the, the mission impossible films have replaced what I want bond movies to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not that bond movies have been bad. They've just been different. I guess is how I would put it. Some of them have been bad, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it, the bombastic thing of like, let's just get, you know, Pierce Brosnan to drive a tank through a town, like the over the top nature uh, it, with some MacGuffins mm-hmm. uh, all, along the way. That's what Mission Impossible really brings. And I, I, I'm super stoked. I, I haven't seen the new Indiana Jones. Have you?
1: I haven't yet. Um, well, I, I think uh, much like what Bob Iger, the uh, president of Disney, doesn't want me to, doesn't want to hear, I'm going to wait for it to be on Disney+. Plus. <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, you know, if, if they want me to go to the movies, maybe try and make the movie-going experience a little bit better. Maybe, like, make the projector not super dim and the tickets not cost five times what they did a few years ago yeah. and not give me 30-plus minutes of trailers and then there's ads before the trailers now mostly for the movie. Like it's an event, dude.
1: you're supposed to enjoy the event. Okay. Commercials and all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just a lot to ask. I actually watched Creed three at home, which to, you know, me well enough to know that me watching a Rocky movie, not in the theater is unthinkable. (laughs) Right. Like, um, but, and I was, I was highly medium on it. I think it was, it was fine. It was definitely the worst of the three, but like, Really, the first one is amazing, and then the other two are just kind of like, you know, they've got real Police Academy six and seven vibes to them. You know what I mean? Like
1: Nothing wrong with that, but yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: there's some more.
1: They know where their place is, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, there's just some more of that, and that's okay. Um, Karen, I've been really enjoying, I've been reading The Priory of the Orange Tree. Have you heard of this book before?
1: Does that maybe talk about it really quick?
0: So if you've seen the, if you've seen the cover, you, the cover really stands out. It's a fantasy epic. Um and I'm only you know 100 plus pages into it. It's very 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 well regarded. Um and a monster of a book. I want to mm-hmm. say it's like 1400 pages long or something like that for like it it it's astonishing in that they haven't cut it into two books. <laughs> Right. Like mm-hmm. modern publishing would definitely have done that um, for most things. So um, it is a very interesting read uh, and a very original uh, take on a fantasy setting so far. So I haven't gotten even close to making a dent on it, but I've, I've dug in and I've been really, really, really impressed with it so far. Um, but it is, you know a definite doorstopper fantasy novel you know yeah. one that you gotta want you gotta learn some geography you gotta learn some culture you gotta learn some languages um and you know regrettably it does do the pov chapter thing which as i've told you i'm pretty over at out. this stage <laughs> boy boy oh boy we gotta stop guys it's been 20 years of this now but uh the setting really makes it worth it so i hmm. i'll Probably finish this in like six months because I read like four pages a night and then pass out. But it's <laughs> been right real good you. so
2: far.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to let you, uh, message you and let you know what they fall asleep to while reading, <laughs> where could they find you?
1: It's all on Twitter at Cameron underscore McCoy.
0: And I'm at Curtis. Now our official show feed is at MTG. We'll check you guys next week.